Uh, Jesus, we're humbled to be able to come into uh, our Father's presence because of your blood. And so we just have the right to march right into our Father's presence and say, uh, you are my dad, and I love you because you have cleansed me from sin. You have made me new, washed me uh, where I was sinful, where I had uh, made mistakes, Father. You wiped them clean and, and given me the very life and credit of Jesus and his perfect life just given to me, and I don't deserve it at all. And Lord, we thank you that we can worship you like we worshiped you this morning with the songs. And, uh, but more important than all the songs, Lord, is just our hearts being laid open before you and, and loving you. Lord, we pray that that's real and it's never fake in our hearts. Lord, we do not want to be fake, but we want to truly be humbled before your presence and come before you in, in faith. Lord, thank you so much for your word that can give us um, truth, that can remake how we think, and that can introduce us to your very heart and character. And Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us powerfully in in our church today. We pray for all the churches meeting today, the true churches that teach your word and believe your word and know you, Jesus. We pray that you would meet with all of them, that you would bless them with your spirit. Lord, cause them to grow and cause them uh, to have joy. Lord, we pray for those in here today who are grieving and who um, are struggling. And Lord, we pray for victory in their lives, in all of our lives. We need you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, bottles will be broken. Chairs will be thrown. Beer will be spilt. Words will be uttered. Bodies will be thrown. I think in my mind about uh, those bar fights you see in movies all the time, right? Uh, I think of the famous one, an airplane, where he throws them down the... The, the bar, because someone always has to get thrown down the bar, right? And, and with the alcohol just splashing all over them and bottles going everywhere. That always happens in a bar fight. Um, so I, I picture this, this fight going on in my mind. Hair is going to be pulled. Tears will fall. Scratches will be seen. Bruises will be purple. Teeth will be knocked out. Limps will follow. That's our introduction. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be wild. We're going to see Jesus is going to come after Jacob today. Jacob has been a very, very interesting guy as we've been following. See, he's the son of, grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac. And he was a twin. Remember, he was born a twin with Esau, his older brother, by just mere seconds. But Jacob came out holding on to Esau's heel, and so his name was heel snatcher, heel catcher, which meant deceiver. Very important for us to remember because Esau, his older brother, was a manly man, full of strength and ability. And Jacob was a mama's boy. He liked spending time in the kitchen, he liked softer pillows. Esau was like Sasquatch couldn't be more opposite. And Isaac happened to like Esau because Esau hunted game and cooked it real savory. 
And so Isaac is like, you know what? My son Esau, he knows how to be a man. I want him to lead my family. I want him to take uh, you know, my responsibilities, really. And I want him to be, even though God had said, I haven't chosen Esau, I've chosen Jacob. And we've studied that. We've studied how God made that decision. Because Esau was a man who only thought about himself. Jacob knew that he was not okay. He had this kind of built-in humility. Whereas Esau, he said, I will not accept help from God. And we saw that's why God made the decision to be against Esau and to be for Jacob. And so as Jacob goes along, Jacob has this problem with lying and deceiving. And he goes on and he keeps on trying to manipulate every situation in his life for his benefit, for his gain. So he's like, I want the blessing. I want to lead our family. And so he tricked his father Isaac um, and his brother Esau. He deceived them and he stole the birthright, you could say. And then he had to flee because Esau said, I'm going to kill you. And then he goes and spends 20 years up with Jacob, or with uh, Laban, excuse me. Jacob goes up and spends 20 years with Laban, getting his wives. He marries Laban's daughter. We remember that tricky night. Remember that? Where Laban tricks him. And Jacob is like, wait a second. I'm the trickster. I'm the deceiver. This doesn't happen to me. But he met his match in Laban. And so, continuing on, he marries two women. They have two handmaids. He's having kids upon kids upon kids. He ends up with how many kids? Twelve kids. And these are going to be the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, so then Jacob is like, let me go home. I know that God has called me home. He met, see, Jacob met God on the way up to Laban's land. And he met him and had this dream of a a ladder and the angels going up and down on the ladder. And God told him who he was. And that's where Jacob met God and started a relationship with God. But even though he's saved, he doesn't start to change really until after these 20 years pass. But God's been working in him. God's been working in his heart. Now Jacob is a different man after 20 years. I mean, 12 kids will do that to you. Two wives and two other women would do that to you too. He's changed, but he's coming back, and we're going to see that God is really going to get him today. He's been with him the whole time, but God says, today is the day that we're going to, I'm going to get you. You're going you're gonna to surrender to me. I'm going to lead your life. And it's a very interesting thing. Because how many of us, even though we know Jesus, maybe you've been walking with him for some time, how many of you ever do something that you regret? Yeah. I was like, everyone raises their hands every day. It's, of course we make mistakes. And do you ever think, why did I do that? Well, that's kind of what J- where Jacob is right now. He's been going along with the Lord for 20 years, and he's starting to realize, wait a second, I'm not always right. <gasps> His wives helped him with that. And he's starting to understand that his sin is a problem. And this is the process of sanctification. This is the process of Jacob becoming more godly, saying, I, I got a problem here. I need to fix it. It needs to get fixed. And we're going to find out today that this is a huge spiritual parallel for your life and for my life today. This is not just about Jacob. But God allowed these things to happen in a very specific way for you. And for me.
So let's look at Genesis chapter 32 and discover how God allowed this to happen. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. So that verse, I read it, and I was like, What in the world does this have to do with anything? <laughs> Jacob just is walking down the road, right? And all of a sudden, there's a bunch of angels there. And he's like, wow, this is crazy. So angels are actually interesting. As you guys know, they're spiritual beings. And so I started to do some studies on this, and I really think I learned a lot as I was studying this verse. In the Hebrew, the word angels here is malak. malak. Sounds like Klingon or something, but... It's from an unused root, meaning uh, to dispatch as a deputy, a messenger, specifically uh, a messenger from God. And Jacob, what's happening is he's starting to see spiritual insights. He's starting to see the spiritual help come in his life. What did he just decide to do? He just decided to be obedient. God said, I want you to go down to your land that I've given to you. And Jacob's like, okay, I'm going to go. Even if I have to leave Laban and then Laban's going to come and chase me and try to kill me, God supernaturally protected him, showing up to Laban last week and saying, no, you're not going to touch him. And so Jacob's like, dodged a bullet on that one. But Jacob's like, I'm going to obey. I want to do God's will. I want to see his will done in my life. And now he's starting to see some spiritual help because angels are spiritual helpers. Look what happens when you leave the world behind to obey the will of God, to walk where he leads. Jacob is growing in his sensitivity to spiritual things. He can now see the angels that have been with him the whole time. We already know that the angels were with him the whole time. He saw them before in the dream with the ladder. He saw them going up and down, but now he sees them with him. And in Hebrews chapter 1, it gives us some insights into what angels are. It says in Hebrews 1.14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? So that's what angels are, is they were made to serve you, to help you in spiritual matters. Now, I don't know how they help us all the time, but I know that God uses angels many times to bring assistance into our lives. They speak of God's favor, his protection, and his grace. It's a supernatural help from God, and that's exactly what grace is. So I didn't know before this week, as I've been studying the word, that angels reminded me of grace, but now I do. A supernatural help from God. In Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all around, or excuse me, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and delivers them. See, this is speaking about the perfect angel, who wasn't really an angel, just the perfect servant of God, Jesus. He's the picture of the, the perfect angel or the perfect helper, the perfect servant of God, and he says here that he's a perfect protector and helper. And then in Psalm 91, verse 9 through 14, it says, Because you have made uh, the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near you, your dwelling. 
For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. So there we see a psalm about God's protection in the life of his children, his believers. But we see a very specific message in, hidden in that psalm about God's son, Jesus, and how God would be protecting him. Now Satan comes along, and Satan quotes this verse, just a part of it, when he's tempting Jesus in the desert. Do you remember that? He took him on the, temp, the highest part of the temple, and he says, why don't you cast yourself down? In other words, why don't you... Do a big show of power. Just show everyone how much God loves you. God said he loves you. Do you really think God loves you, Jesus? Why don't you show everyone? Because if everyone saw how much God loves you, they would certainly listen to you. This is crazy. Satan wanted Jesus to jump from the top of the temple so that people would see him and get excited about his ministry. But Jesus said he would not use God's blessings for favor or personal gain. That's what's going on. That's why Jesus says, no, don't tempt the Lord your God. He did not need to get a boost in popularity by means of showing off his divine and spiritual privileges. That's what he's saying there. He knew that the angels would help him if he truly needed it and when he truly needed it. But he never took advantage of a benefit that you and I don't have. He came to be the perfect man. He came to show us that he was a servant. And so he stands up on that temple and he says, no, Satan, I'm not going to do that. That's not the, the job that God has given me to glorify myself, to show how loved I am. God has already told everyone he loves me. Remember when I got baptized, Satan? What did God say? Well, he opened up the very doors of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that was enough for Jesus. Now, what has Jesus told you in your life? That I love you. You don't need to be popular. You don't need someone else in this world, a man or woman, to think that you're something, to think that you're all that. You just need me. And now in your life, I just want you to be obedient to me. So Jesus says, I choose obedience over popularity. I choose the hard way over the easy way. And in that he showed us how to be the perfect man. But I want you to see that Jesus wasn't above asking for help. He wasn't above getting help from God. In fact, he lived on a continual supply of God's help because in Mark, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus in that temptation. Okay, as soon as that temptation is done, the three temptations of Satan on Jesus, it says, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. So there was a time where Jesus said, all right, I do need help. And it just so happened to be right after the temptation, when he needed a spiritual touch, when the angels were there at his side. Why were they there at that time? Because he trusted that God was there with him and he was only focused on honoring God. So God sent him help when he needed help. He could just trust in the Lord. We can depend on God to help us when the time is right. So be looking for his help. Be trusting in his help. And then accept his help. You don't see Jesus saying, get away from me. I am Jesus. 
I need no angelic help. No, he let the angels come and minister to him. I don't know what that means. Maybe the angels were just like, bro, you're so awesome. Maybe the angels were like, here's some food. I don't know. Maybe the angels were like, hey, remember your mission. I don't know. But the angels came and they helped him. They gave him spiritual resources and grace. And here, so backing up to where we are with Jacob now, Jacob is coming into a place in his life where he's going to be incredibly challenged. But God is there at the beginning, before, because God knows what he's going to need, right? God knows that he's going to need spiritual strength beforehand. And some people are like, uh, well, when bad times come, I like to sit down and read my Bible. And I like to say, that's way too late. He calls this place God's camp. God's camping with you. Verse 3, so Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Then he commanded them, saying, speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen and donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, uh, we come to your brother. We came to your brother Esau, and now he's coming out to meet you with 400 men that are with him. So, the big problem with following God is that sometimes it, you face challenges. All right. The big time. Of fu- the big problem for Jacob with following God is that someone wants to kill him in the place where God told him to go. And yet Jacob still has a desire to go there. Esau was angry. Jacob was guilty. And he's trying to make peace by saying he isn't going to steal any of Jacob, any of Esau's stuff anymore. He's already has lots of stuff. Did you hear him? He's like, bro, bro, I'm not coming to take any of your stuff. Like, I'm totally richer than you. That's what he's saying right now. But he hears, all he hears, like, so his servants come back, and all he hears is that Esau's coming with 400 men. And Jacob's like, this is bad news. The angry Sasquatch is angry. And he's going to get me. It's going to be sad. He's really worried. He's really stressed out. Look at verse 7. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Why was Jacob so brave when he was talking to Laban, but he's such a wussy when he's talking to Esau? Because his conscience is telling him that he was right with Laban. Laban changed his wages ten times. Laban was a trickster. But his conscience tells him that he was wrong with Esau. And he's dealing with that inside. And Christians, we can struggle with fear when we cannot accept the forgiveness and the cleansing of God of our past sins. You know, the Christian's bar of soap is 1 John 1, 9. It's great. I remember it every day. If, we're, if we confess our sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just remember, the Christian's bar of soap, okay? It really cleanses you, confessing your sins to the Lord, just agreeing with him about what it is. And Christians need that on a daily basis. Uh, uh, here's a, a sneak peek at the end of your life. You're still going to be saying that prayer. Father, forgive me. I messed up again. We will always be saying that. And guess what? That is a good thing. It doesn't mean that you're not right with God. Because when you sin, Jesus has paid for it. But you need to allow his grace to work in you and believe his word. So you've got to be obedient to his word, which says, confess it. That's all I'm asking you to do. I did not ask you to do rosaries. I did not ask you to go whip yourself and do penance. I asked you one thing. Confess it. Agree with me. Receive my forgiveness and let me do a cleansing work in your heart. This is how it works now and always will in your life. From now until the day you die. If you don't want it to work that way, go find another religion. This is how Jesus says it works. So you can either accept his help and be free or you can do it on your own. And that's called religion. Those are the, that's the difference between what we do and what maybe a church that has religion does. Okay? The cure for us not getting over our sins, because sometimes we really struggle with that. We get bummed out and we struggle. We say, I have sinned so many times. I am a big goofball, a goober. I'm never going to be anything different than that. I'm lame. Sometimes we think that and we think we'll never get over it. And the cure for that is actually what we talked about last week, propitiation. Believing that Jesus paid the price for your sins, even your sins that you think are really bad, even your sins that you've done after you come to believe. Jesus paid for them. If you don't believe that, what are you doing? But that's what we do. We decide, well, I'm not going to believe that he paid for those. I got to pay for those. I got to do something about those. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? I paid for those. Accept it. Accept my love. Accept my forgiveness and confess your sins and I'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's how it works. It's, it's very, very simple, but it destroys our pride because our pride longs and loves to say, I should have done better. But that is pride when we say, oh, I should have done better. God's like, oh, you shouldn't have. Do you see that I made you out of dirt? The Bible says in Psalms, he's constantly reminding himself that he made us out of dirt. So he doesn't expect a lot from you. Anything good in you, he knows it's from the time you spent with Jesus Christ. It's from his own work in you. And anything bad, he's like, well, that's the dirt. So you can call yourself a dirt bag and feel good about it. If you don't know what propitiation means, ask someone who was here last week. And that's their test. Pop quiz, hot shot. Jacob, as we're seeing in our story, he seems to have already forgotten that God is committed to be with him and to help him with these angels. Because Jacob, immediately after seeing the angels and renaming the town or whatever, he's like, wait a second. Now let me see what I can do to change Esau's mind. Fear makes us forget the truth. Fear makes us look to our own abilities. Fear is not faith. We've tackled that a lot of times, haven't we? We've said that a lot of times. We can't be afraid. 
We've got to trust in the Lord and his word. Well, look at verse 9. Then Jacob said, O God of my father. So Jacob's doing a good thing here. He's kind of like so bipolar right now. And when we're talking about the bar fight, this is, this is what we're going to get to. There's two things going on inside Jacob right now. There's the Jacob that wants to trust the Lord and do his will. And then there's the Jacob that is trying to manipulate the situation still. And they're both in this story. And he just goes back and forth and back and forth. So look, now he's doing something great. He's praying. Never a bad thing to pray, right? He says, oh God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all your mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff. In other words, I was dirt poor. And now I've become two companies. I have so much, I can't even put them all in one spot. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau. He says, deliver me, God. Lest he come and attack me and the mother with the, ch- with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So now he's doing the right thing. It's never too late to do the right thing. You might think, oh, well, he's already gone down this path of doing things in the flesh and trying to convince Esau to change. But no, he's stopping. So wait a second, wait. I got to do what's right here. Let me pray. Yes, he first reacted in flesh and fear, but now he prays. And we see three things in this prayer that are really cool. I really like it. Number one, we see God's word. He said, the Lord who said to me, and then he says all the things that God said to him. He's quoting God's word. That's always a great ingredient for prayer, is to pray God's word. If you don't know what to pray, open up to the Psalms and pray that. How many of you get frustrated where you're like, I don't know what to talk to you about right now? I get it. And God doesn't say you just come up with stuff. He gives you an entire book called Psalms of ideas to pray for. And a lot of them are, kill my enemies. God's fine with that. He's okay because he's working in your heart through that. At least he wants to talk to you about it. Well, you probably shouldn't kill him. Let me take care of that. Number two, we see thanksgiving in this prayer. Another great ingredient for prayer. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all the truth which you have shown to your servant. Man, what a great thing to pray about. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for showing me truth. I know you now. Man, this is a great ingredient to prayer. Third thing, quickly, is faith. He says, God, deliver me, I pray. So in other words, I, I'm trusting you. Now, we're back 4,000 years later, and we're saying, wait a second, only half of him trusts in the Lord. That's right. But by the end of the chapter, it'll be different. Look at verse 13. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand for, uh, as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels, weird, with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servant and every drove by itself and he said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between the successive droves. And he commanded the first one saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? 
whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second and third and all who followed in droves, saying, in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the presents that go before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me and not kill me. So the presents went on over before him, but he lodged himself in the camp that night. So now, this is very, very important, guys. Remember where he's going back and forth, flesh and spirit, flesh and spirit. He prays in the spirit. Now he's acting in the flesh. He's saying, I'm going to do what I can do and leave the rest to God. And it's wrong. We don't do that. That is still trusting in your flesh. You don't do what you can do and leave the rest to God. Because what you can do is all bad. And God doesn't need any of that added to the recipe. He only needs grace and his mercy and what he does added to the pot. Jacob, he's like, I'm going to do what I can do and leave the rest to God. And how many times have I done that? I mean, just millions. Well, I'm going to do the best I can do. I got this sin problem. I'm going to do what I can do, set up all these boundaries and rules, and then I'll leave the rest to God. And God's like, hmm, I wish you would have asked for my help first and trusted me and not trusted in your flesh. He's still trusting in his flesh, in his abilities, in his stuff to change Esau's heart. Some Bible teachers will actually say that this was the right thing for him to do, that he's using his ingenuity to pick himself up by his bootstraps and do what he can do and then trust the Lord for the rest. And I 100% disagree. Look at the facts. He did not hear from the Lord to do these things. Number two, he's still trying to manipulate or change his brother's opinion by giving him gifts. Totally not biblical. When does the Bible ever say, hey, give someone a gift to change their opinion about you? Manipulation, that's how Jesus wants. No. How about number three, he's not demonstrating patience or waiting upon the Lord. This is the same day he gets there. He just saw the angels. God's like, chill out for a second. And he's like, no, I got to do this. I'm going to send you guys over here to do this. I'm going to send you over here to do this. Let's divide up. Let's conquer. Let's, ah. Jacob, chill out. Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon his word to come to you to tell you to do something. No, Jacob's trying to figure stuff out in his flesh. He's half trusting God, half trusting himself in his flesh. And he has this major war in his flesh with the flesh going on inside his heart. His circumstances seem to point to this being a good idea. It's all he has. And if he doesn't do it, is he saying, I give up? But God desires for Jacob to be completely surrendered to him. We're called white flag, in case you didn't know, for a reason. Because it speaks of surrender. A huge part of our name is from this story. A huge part. God will not accept less than 100% surrender in our life, in Jacob's life, in your children's life. He desires surrender because your flesh is so bad, it's his enemy. 
It's his enemy. And Jacob is going to have a huge chunk of his flesh cut off tonight, this very night that we're reading about. Jacob's about to learn how to be fully surrendered and dependent to the Lord. And maybe you are too. Maybe there's areas in your life that you need to surrender. It's been a battle. It's been a fight. There's been ah, struggle. It's like a bar fight continually in your heart. Stitches all the time. And Jacob, he's never going to be the same after this night. Check this out. We sing the song, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him. I was beautiful, I know. We sing that song. Yet oftentimes, we're like Jacob, where we sing, I surrender all my goats and sheep and camels and all this stuff. And if that isn't enough, I'll surrender my sheep. And if that isn't enough, I'll surrender the, surrender the milk camels. But what Jacob wouldn't surrender was himself. He wouldn't do that yet. Now verse 23. So he took them and sent them over the brook. He, he sent over what he has, what he had. So he, he sends everything away. He gets alone. His heart wants some time to sort through why he's struggling so badly inside. Why do I have this half of me that trusts God and wants God and half of me that wants nothing to do with that? Why? Why do I have such a strong desire to figure out things on my own strength, yet an equally strong desire to trust in God alone? How can these two things be happening? And this is the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Verse 24, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Such an amazing, amazing verse. This man, a man comes after Jacob. Jacob is there just like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? And this man, you know, attacks him out of nowhere, comes in with a flying elbow. Oh, Jacob's like, ah, and they start wrestling, right? Jacob wasn't wanting anything from God right here. He just wanted to be alone. But God wanted something from Jacob, and he's coming to get it with his elbows. <sighs> David Guzak says, God wanted all Jacob's proud self-reliance and fleshly scheming, and he came to take it by force if necessary. And this is no ordinary man that came to wrestle with Jacob. This is who? Jesus, right. He shows up in the Old Testament. It's called a Christophany when Jesus shows up as a dude in the Old Testament before he was born. It's amazing. And Jesus comes and attacks Jacob. People wear those what would Jesus do bracelets. And I think sometimes they totally forget that attacking people and turning over Chairs and whipping people is entirely within the realm of possibility for what would Jesus do. So think about that. And Jacob resists him all night long. It says they wrestled until the breaking of day. He resists him all night long. So just imagine all night, them just going at it. 
the, the, the bar fight. Just think about the bar fight. This is being thrown against trees and B.O. and sweats and ah, beers being pulled and just violence all night long. Jacob is a mighty stubborn fellow. But God is too. Jesus is saying, Jacob, we are going to do things my way. I've given you 20 years to mess around, and it ends tonight. We are going to do things my way. Just like Jesus said, I don't know, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14.6. Nothing else matters but me. If you're not okay with that, you're not okay with me. But I've already adopted you, so it looks like we have one way this is going to go. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to take away your flesh, your dependency on your flesh, your reliance on fleshly things, and I'm going to be all you have left. And you're going to find out just how stinking good that is for you. Jacob's stubborn resistance is a picture of what we do and what many of us are doing here today. We're fighting with Jesus. We hold back as much as possible of the control of our lives, as long as possible, hoping that God will just give up and leave us alone someday. I'm going to hold on to this, and this thing is is just something I love, and I'm not going to give it up, God. Oh, really? Let's wrestle all night long and see how you feel at the end of it. But God is more committed to us than we are to our sin. He'll hold out longer because he loves you more than you even love your sin. What love is that? So cool. He's in this bar fight to win. The bottles are going to be broken. The chairs are going to be thrown. The beer will be spilt. You know, bad words will be said to win you. He's totally down for it. Let's go. You want to go? Let's go. A fight? Jesus? Meek and mild baby? Jesus? How can he be... Oh, here's blasphemy saying Jesus likes to fight. Well, he likes to wrestle. But yes, he will fight you. He's described many times in the Old Testament as a warrior, a man of battle. He makes no peace treaties with something that he has every right to own already. Your heart. He is a God that will take what belongs to him. So cool. He does not make peace treaties with our sin. Now look at verse 25. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled the man, or wrestled with him. So God allowed this fight to kind of look even for a while. He kind of let Jacob just... I picture when my kid's trying to swing at me and I'm just holding him by the head, you know. But... um, Jacob hung in there long enough to have this illusion they just might win. But God could win at every moment. So why does God let it go this far? It was so Jacob, this is very important, listen. It was so Jacob, listen. It was so Jacob would come to the end. So that Jacob would finally give up his control and pride. It was so Jacob would finally realize that he wanted to lose. 
God let it go so long so that Jacob could just be like, you know what? I'm tired of fighting you. I actually want you to win. I want to give up this stuff for you. That's why God allowed him to struggle so long. And so take that into your life. Why does God allow the struggle and not just give you victory right away? It's so that you get it in your mind and in your heart that you actually want God more than you want these things. And so that you'll surrender them. Surrender them and say, Lord, I actually choose to give you these things. I choose it. So good. It wasn't worth fighting the man that was fighting him. For the man had already won Jacob's heart. Jacob knew who this was. So this is funny. Verse 26, he said to him, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jesus says to him, hey, bro, we're not going to do this forever. It's time to go. But Jacob is hanging on to Jesus. He's not wrestling anymore. He is doing something different. He is clinging to him, holding on to him, abiding with him. The better man had won. Jacob is beaten, broken, and now submissive to the man. And this needs to be us. It's probably to be expected that you're going to wrestle with God today, tomorrow, throughout this life. And you will lose. God will win. And you will either submit to him and his way of doing things, which is grace, give me blessings. Give is the language of grace. Jacob is saying here, I want to live by grace. I'm done trying to earn my way. I'm done trying to do things my way. I'm done trying to trick things. It's grace. I want to do things by grace. So would you give me the blessing instead of me trying to manipulate it out of you or beat it out of you? Jacob has given up. Or you can limp away and miss out on all that God wanted to bless you with. That's what's going to happen in your fights. You're either going to say, fine, I'll do it by grace. I'll trust you. I'll come to you in humility and faith, ask for your blessings and receive them. Or you're just going to go away without the blessings and without God. He either controls you or he doesn't. What do you want? We must know that we serve a God who's greater than us. And we cannot conquer much of anything until he conquers us. We're not going to have victory. We're not going to have a successful ministry, successful marriage, successful family, life, until he conquers us. Jacob wasn't trying to make a deal with God anymore. You know, some people say, oh, I won't let you go until you bless me. That's not Jacob's heart right now. He's not trying to make a deal. He was broken. He's pleading in humility and faith. Just exactly what God's wanted the whole time. We know that because of Hosea chapter 12, verses 3. It says, speaking of Jacob, it says, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. His strength is his flesh. His abilities, it says, in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed, and he wept and sought favor from him. He wept. It says he was crying. He was broken. He's done. This is a major change for Jacob, the deceiver. He's always felt like he had something to do to sneak a little more. Something to get something for himself and not to trust in God alone. That's where he's been at his whole life. 
Even after he got saved and came to know the Lord. But now he seeks only God's blessings. Now he surrendered to God's way, God's truth, which is grace. I'm going to do things your way, God. I'm going to ask for your blessings, not try to earn them, ask for them. That's the way you've set up in your word called the new covenant. That's what it is. God will provide all you need through his son, Jesus Christ. Jacob is not fighting anymore. He's just what? Holding on with all his might, which is exactly where God wanted Jacob the whole time. That's where blessings are found, obtained, given when we abide in Christ. John 15 is beautiful. Go, go read it when you get home. God is also answering Jacob's prayer. What did Jacob say? Deliver me, God. Jacob had a real, honest, great, spirit-led prayer, and a big part of that prayer was deliver me. And God is doing that right now. But first, Jacob needs to be delivered from his own pride and his own self-sufficiency. His brother's no problem. God's like, I have a thousand angels around you. I could do anything to your brother. In fact, I've already changed your brother's heart. You don't even know. He's coming to bless you. He's coming with 400 men to say, howdy. He is not coming to kill you. But you don't know that. And I'm not allowing you to know it either because I want you afraid because I want you to realize that you're, the person you need to live from is you. The person you need to live from is your own flesh, which thinks you're okay without me. That's what was the problem here. The problem isn't other people. The problem isn't outside influences. The problem isn't your boss or your children. The problem is always you and me. We are what God is working on first. The deliverance that we need is the deliverance from our own self-sufficiency. Verse 27, so he said to him, what is your name? Jesus asked Jacob, what's your name, bro? And he said, Jacob. And that statement is the most humble, spirit-filled, faith-filled answer Jacob has spoken in the entire Bible. He's confessing. What did 1 John say, 1, 9 say we're supposed to do? Confess. Agree with God. He said to him, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked and saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him. This is kind of funny. It's pretty awesome, actually. Jesus asked Jacob the one question Jacob never wanted to answer. What's your name? Deceiver, cheater, liar, manipulator. That's my name. That's been my identity. That's how I tried to get it done my whole life. Living up to my name, right? From my birth, through all my relationships, my brother, my parents, my family, my employers, my wives, all of it has been me being a deceiver. Me trying to get it done. I've messed it all up. I'm the problem. All these things are Jacob, is what Jacob's saying when he's saying, my name's Jacob. In this confession, Jacob is finally free. He stopped wrestling with the internal desire to be right and to succeed in his own abilities, his pride. He's done. He's embraced the shame of being 
unable to do it. And now God gives him a new name. He says, you know what? No more is your name Jacob. Your new name, your new identity that I am doing in you, I am giving you a new name. It is Israel. Which, this is so much amazing love and amazing grace from God. Instead of condemning Jacob right there on the spot, he gives him a new name and he blesses him. He doesn't deny that Jacob was a deceiver, but Jesus does something so much greater, he changes him. He changes his very identity and he says, you're now Israel, which means governed by God. Meaning God is in control. Meaning God is the boss. Boss up. God runs my life. That's the new identity of Jacob. God runs my life. I'm done trying to run my life. God runs it. He doesn't have to be Jacob ever again. He's free. God has given him permission to be free. He can just let God run his life. And that leads to blessing or grace. God's love and resources being poured out on an undeserved, humble, faithful man. That's what grace is. And God offers the same thing to every one of us today. A new name, a new identity. In the book of Revelation, it says, Jesus gives you a name that nobody knows except him and you. But he knows it right now. And he's working that new name, that new identity in your heart as you live on this earth today. He is giving you that new name. It'll be complete when we get to heaven, but he's working it out now. And it will be some sort of Israel governed by God. God is in control of my life. That's how this works. Victory over the man inside comes only by surrendering to God. That's what he means when he says, you've struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. What he's saying is, you have had victory now in your life because you've surrendered. You got beat by God. That's victory in the Bible. That's victory. You let God beat you. Goes against everything this world teaches us. Be your own person. Do what you want to do. Let your heart run the day. All of those things God says are terrible. No, I know what's best for you. Follow me and I'll lead you to life on the path of life. Well, Jacob asks some questions, says, hey, tell me your name, I pray. And he says, why is it that you ask my name? It's kind of like Jesus is like, you're funny. You know who this is, dude. Isn't it funny how we can fight and struggle so hard and later realize that it was God who we were wrestling with? We can just struggle and struggle and struggle and years go by. I don't know why I'm so this and I don't know why I have such a hard time with that. And at the end, we look back and we're like, oh, that was Jesus. My bad. Keep a humble and surrendered heart. The old life of Jacob is gone. The new life of Israel is here. From now on, Jacob could choose, keyword choose, to embrace his new life and his new name or not. And as we're going to see, he's actually called Jacob twice as much as he's called Israel. And it's funny because he's called Jacob when he's doing stupid things, fleshly things. 
And he's called Israel when he's doing godly things. So the battle's still there, but at least he knows now that he can choose it. He knows where victory comes from now, abiding in Christ. Verse 30, so Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. We're going to see now two lasting effects from surrendering your life to God. Two lasting effects. Lasting effect number one, he names the place face of God. See, he did know who it was. (laughs) It was God, right? He was humbled. He tasted God's mercy and God's grace. And it's not what he deserved. So lasting effect number one, he names this place face of God, Peniel. So he will always be remembered that he shouldn't be alive. But through God's grace, he's humbled. So lasting effect number one is humility. What do you think lasting effect number two is? <laughs> Good guess. I don't know it's not, but that was a great guess. <laughs> That's what I would have said. I was hoping you would say that, actually. So now look what happens. Verse 31, just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Lasting effect number two is that he will forever, for the rest of his life, limp. In other words, He will never walk the same. After you have surrendered to Jesus, you're done. You never walk the same. Jesus, or Jacob, excuse me, would remember how God conquered him. Every step that he takes for the rest of his life, he'll remember this fight. It's almost like Jesus is saying, Jacob, I'm not really concerned with how smart you are or your abilities, or your plans, or your schemes. I'm not even concerned on you being a good walker. I will break you down. I only want you to trust me forever and stop trusting in your flesh. Who you are is not okay. I'm okay with messing up your life to get you to realize that. I'm okay having a bar fight with you, uttering some words, throwing some bottles. Why do the chairs always break? I've never seen a chair break. But every chair that's in a bar scene shatters. I'm willing to give, have, excuse me, a gimpy follower than a healthy, headstrong enemy. I'd rather have a gimpy follower. And I don't know about you, but I have had in my life a couple hiccups in my giddy-up. And I'm thankful for each and every one of those where God has beat me down. God has devastated me. Because right now, I, I stand before everyone and say, God is a wonderful God to surrender to. When you give up and stop fighting, He gives you grace. He takes care of it. So why do we spend so much energy resisting until the sun comes up? And then going to a place where he has to touch our hip, which is like the most painful thing. People, I've never had a hip. Anyone had a hip out of joint? You have? 
All right, so we got a couple of hip experienced people here. Well, I hear it's bad, right? Is it bad? It's really, really bad, right? So God is not afraid of hurting you. What an amazing statement. Oh, God is a God of love. How can he just, ah, hippies, flowers, what? Right? That's what everyone says. God's not going to lead me into a place that hurts me. Wrong. God's got no problem hurting you. But it's all up to you. You don't have to fight with him all night. You don't have to wrestle with him. Just surrender. Oh, but it's, it's not that easy. I know. That's why he's willing to smack you up. That's why he's willing to be in a bar fight with you. I love this chapter, guys. It's so powerful in our hearts. It's such a huge portion of our walk with God is when we finally surrender. And you won't ever walk the same. Do you want to stop fighting today? Big application question. Very simple. I don't know what you're struggling with. I know what I'm struggling with. And I think every part of my heart wants to surrender today. I just want to give it up. And if you want to give it up, we're going to have a time right now of spending, just we're going to sing another song. And we're going to, have to take communion. So just come and say, Lord, I'm done fighting. I surrender. You know, if there's a relationship that you're like, that you know is crossing the line, surrender it. I did not say cut it off in your own abilities. I said surrender it. Two different things. Both of them mean you don't ever call that person again. But one of them is done through the power of God and one of them is done through the power of yourself. That's the battle right here. It's the battle of yourself. Maybe it's a sin that nobody knows about. Surrender it. I didn't say, just stop it, bro. (laughs) I said, surrender it. God, I agree with you that this is wrong. And I need your help. I surrender it to you. I believe that you're going to give me the strength. And when I do this sin again, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness. I'm going to confess it to the Lord. And I'm going to believe you that your side of that is that you'll forgive me and cleanse me. Christian Barso, 1 John 1, 9. Everyone should have that memorized. All right, let's pray. Jesus, you are, are much better to us than we could ever imagine. And we thank you, God, that you are violent against our flesh. And you have no desire to make peace treaties against Satan and the enemy and our own flesh. And God, I pray that there is a real, genuine surrender in our hearts. Because Lord, you, you will not stop until that's there. Lord, I pray that uh, those who are maybe even wrestling right now and struggling with, I don't know how to surrender, or I don't know what to surrender. Uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit would come alongside them and would give them the necessary encouragement and strength to really surrender to you. Lord, I pray that you would um, even bring restoration in relationships and, and help us to make right the things that we've been messing up in our flesh. By your spirit, by your strength, we ask these things. Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and truth. We are your people. We thank you so much that you would choose weirdos like us 
to be your children. It's so wonderful. And God, we just uh, love you. Thank you for all the babies. We love them. And uh, pray that you give Kara a great birthday today. Amen.